But you know, I want to start off by saying, isn't Yahweh amazing? I mean, he's the creator of all things, and by the word of his power, he holds all things together. Now, regardless of the fact that the world is in constant chaos because of its depravity and hatred of God, Yahweh is still on the throne, and he is accomplishing everything according to his sovereign plan. You know, if you're a believer, then there's no reason for you to fear here when you look around at the state of our economy or at the horrible morals of the vast majority of people that live on earth or of rumors of wars or uh, of the corruption that takes place in government and a host of other evil things that take place and surround us locally, nationally, and internationally. You know, Paul penned in 1 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, which can also be translated as fear, but of power and love and discipline. See, fear does not come from God, but power does. Because he has given believers every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. It's at our disposal. So we have at our disposal everything that allows us to not live a life of fear, but instead a powerful life in Christ, no matter what is taking place in the world around us. But we must be disciplined to trust in God. The footnote in my Bible has this to say about discipline in 1 Timothy 1.7. Discipline refers to a self-controlled and properly prior- prioritized mind. This is the opposite of fear and cowardice that causes disorder and confusion. Focusing on the sovereign nature and perfect purposes of our eternal God allows believers to control their lives with godly wisdom and confidence in every situation. I mean, think about it. As a believer, if you can genuinely rest fully in the sovereignty of God and his providential plans, then life is way more joyful. It's way more joyful because you have a biblical outlook and your hope, your anchor is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that God, in the end, will write every injustice and his righteousness will reign forever. Now, this doesn't mean that difficulties will never arise in your life. I'm not here to say that, hey, come to God and your life will be full of wealth, health, and happiness. I'm not saying that at all. But it does mean that you are holding on, like I said, to the anchor of your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, through thick and thin, no matter what takes place in your life, You have Christ as your anchor. Paul wrote also in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I long for the day that faith becomes sight, and I hope that that's your prayer as well. But I also pray that, that as believers, we're running the race that God has set before us with endurance and joy, knowing that we are Almost home. This is not our home. We're just sojourners in a land that is not yet ours. But praise be to God, our eternal dwelling place will be beyond imagination. We can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. And our bodies should cry out to be glorified. In the meantime, we as believers, we're to be about our Father's business no matter what we face in life, because we know that Yahweh is in control. In Asa's 41-year reign as Judah's king, we know that he had to make many decisions 
And scripture, it lets us know that he faced two separate kings in battle. Yet, who he relied upon for deliverance in these battles were completely different. Last week, Terry, he he walked us through some of the wonderful, God-honoring acts that Asa accomplished for the glory of God and how God blessed him and, and Judah because they relied upon Yahweh to deliver them and that they would obey his commands. He blessed them. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a portion of, of Asa, his life found in 1 Kings 15, 16 through 24, and also 2 Chronicles 15, 16, all the way through the end of verse 14 of chapter 16. But I'm also going to recount a few of the things in Asa's life that, that Terry touched upon last week, just so it kind of brings today's uh, lesson just kind of clear into focus. So I've titled today's lesson, To Obey Yahweh or to Disobey Yahweh? That is the question. And there are three main sections in this passage that we'll study this morning, and I'll say them again as we go, but section one is Asa's Delight. It's found in 2 Chronicles 15, 16 through 19. Section two is Asa's Distrust, which is located in 1 Kings 15, 16 through 24, and 2 Chronicles 16, 1 through 6. And then section three is Asa's disobedience, found in 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 4. So let's begin in our first section, Asa's delight. So please follow along your copy of the infallible, glorious word of God as I read 2 Chronicles 15, 16 through 19. He also removed Makav, the, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things silver and gold and utensils. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So we learned last week that Asa was a good and righteous king of Judah. And he was not like his father, Abijah. Rather, he walked in the ways of David. You see, Asa, he, he removed all the, the male cult prostitutes from the land. He destroyed the high places, and he tore down the, the sacred pillars and foreign altars. And he cut down the, the ashram, and he commanded Judah to seek with all their hearts after Yahweh and to observe the law and the commandment. He brought them back into union with their God. And because of Asa's faithfulness and reliance upon the Lord, Yahweh blessed him. And he gave Judah peace in the land for many years. You know, Terry, he, he te- uh, briefly touched on, on last week toward the end of his lesson regarding Asa's removal of his grandmother, Micah, as the queen mother. You see, she was a powerful woman in Judah. And she had erected this absolutely horrid image as an Asherah, which is is an idol. And it may very well have been a sexually explicit image. So since Asa was a man of God and that he trusted in Yahweh with his whole heart, he cut down this horrific idol. And he didn't just throw it out, he crushed it. He burned it in the brook Kidron. And that that brook, it seasonally ran through the Kidron Valley, and it actually marked the eastern boundary of Jerusalem. So we see that that Asa, his delight is in the Lord. 
He's not standing for all of these idols that were everywhere. He was not like his father. He was not like his grandmother. His heart was solely fixed upon serving Yahweh. So his delight was in the Lord, and, and he led the people of Judah well as he removed all of these abominable idols from the land of Judah. And that's what he needed. That's what, that's what Judah needed was after having a king that was evil and wicked, that here he is bringing them back, saying, we want to be blessed by Yahweh. We need to worship him and him alone. These are idols. These are nothing. Let's get rid of them. So even though his father and grandmother were wicked, evil people, by God's grace, Asa's heart was blameless all of his days. And on top of all of those wonderful things that Asa did for the glory of the Lord, we read in verse 18 that, that he also placed silver and gold items back in the temple that he and his father had dedicated to Yahweh. So we can see that, that here is this picture that Asa, his delight is in the Lord. He is getting rid of all the idols. He's bringing the people back into union with Yahweh. Now the, these gold and silver that he and his father had dedicated, he's bringing them and putting them into the house of God. And because of it, Yahweh blessed Asa with peace in the land until the 35th year of his reign. And we learned last week that the prophet Azariah told Asa that if he would just humble himself, if he would truly, with Benjamin and Judah, follow Yahweh, then indeed Yahweh would be with them and be their defense. I mean, that's a pretty awesome thing to have here from a man of God saying, you follow Yahweh, Yahweh will be with you. I mean, that's kind of like a no-brainer. Oh, man, if God's for me, let's go. Let's do this. Well, as I've already stated, Asa pursued holy living. And because he was the leader, he also had all of Judah and Benjamin pursue holy living as well. And he brought them back to the covenant with Yahweh. They were blessed. They obeyed Yahweh and Yahweh blessed them. And that's a basic parenting principle, isn't it? I mean, and it transfers over to a spiritual truth. From a human parenting perspective, when your child obeys you, you bless them. When they disobey you, there is discipline, which brings punishment. We see that spiritual principle played out all throughout the pages of Scripture. Yahweh blesses obedience and he punishes disobedience. As a born-again believer, aren't you so thankful that our God is merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving and that he doesn't take away the blessing of our salvation when we sin? Because if that were the case, we would never be able to be saved. But he doesn't. However, when we do sin, praise God, he does chasten us. He does come after us. He does prick our spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit to let us know that we're sinning against him because we have a loving father. All loving fathers discipline their children. You know, even though our sins have, have been nailed to the cross and they indeed have been forgiven, there still are consequences when we sin against our holy, perfect creator. In the first section that we've seen right here, we see that, that Asa's delight was in Yahweh as he pursued a holy life and he led the people of Judah to follow Yahweh with all of their hearts. So I've got to ask you, is your delight in God Almighty? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you long to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you long to have your mind renewed through the reading of Scripture? 
Pastor Tom mentioned that today. We have to have, as believers, an all-out faith in the Lord and trust in Him and hunger for Him. Not just Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're talking every day of the week, 365. We're called to be holy because our God is holy. If you are a true child of God, and you've been left on earth to be about your dad's business. You are not left here to eat amazing food. You aren't here to, to pursue that promotion at work and to have a nice car and to go on all these extravagant vacations. And there is nothing wrong with those things. When God blesses you with those perks, amen. But those should not be the pursuit of your life. Your pursuit should be a passionate desire to know Yahweh deeply, day by day, moment by moment, no matter what we face in life. No matter what, we trust in Yahweh, our sovereign God. Paul penned in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. As MacArthur states, good works cannot produce salvation, but are subsequent and resultant God-empowered fruits and evidence of it. From verses 16 through 19, we see that Asa, his delight was in the Lord. The fruit of his life was he get rid of all of those idols and brought the people back to worship of Yahweh. When someone looks at the pattern of your life, what do they see? Remember, to obey Yahweh or to disobey Yahweh? That is the question. This leads us to the second section, Asa's distrust found in 1 Kings 15, 16 through 24, and 2 Chronicles 16, 1 through 6. And since these are parallel passages, and there really is not a whole lot of difference in the details, I am only going to read 2 Chronicles 16, 1 through 6, and you can, on your own time, read 1 Kings 15, 16 through 24. So please follow along in your copy of God's word as I read 2 Chronicles 16, 1 through 6. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa, Asha, Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijen, Dan, Abel-Mame, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basa had been building, and with them he fortified Geba and Mishpah. So after this extended period of peace in the land of Judah, King Basha of Israel, he comes up against Judah, and he goes to a city that's pretty close to Jerusalem, and he's fortifying Ramah, which is just, it's located in Benjamin. And one commentator states, Basha apparently was initially occupied with securing the throne and other internal affairs. But with a victorious and strengthened Judah, whose renewed vitality had succeeded even in drawing away many of his citizens, Basha could no longer remain inactive. Moving swiftly into Judah, 
Basha seized Ramah, only four miles north of Jerusalem itself. This action not only stopped the further drawing away of Basha's subjects, but also cut off the main road north out of Jerusalem, thus shutting down all communications between Judah and Israel and giving Basha control of the trade routes. So picture this. You've got King Asa. He hears this, that four miles away from Jerusalem, King Basha from Israel is coming down to fortify Ramah. So you would think that he would call upon the name of Yahweh. Since he's already been obeying Yahweh, he's already been trusting him with his life and calling the people to worship Yahweh alone, trusting in him wholeheartedly. You think that that's what he would do, that he would call upon the name of his sovereign God. But unfortunately, he instead places his trust in a man. And God was not pleased. But before we all throw stones at Asa, we first need to remember and ask ourselves, how many times have we, how many times have we seen God at work in our lives in different situations, in different uh, circumstances of life, being faithful to us, so faithful. And then when another situation comes in life, we doubt him. We just don't trust him. We think, ah, he was good back here, but this situation in my life, I'm not so sure. Well, to backtrack just a bit, before we see how Asa distrusts the Lord, we need to know that he actually trusted him first to really get this full picture, to, to scratch our head and see why did he do what he did here? Why did he go to Ben-Hadad and not to Yahweh? See, as Terry let us know last week, the Zerah, the Ethiopian king, had a vast army of a million people, a million soldiers with 300 chariots, came up against an army that that Asa had of 580,000 men. But instead of freaking out, instead of Asa saying, Woo, I can't do this, How we, we're, we're going to get clobbered, we better go and just surrender. Asa doesn't do that. Instead of succumbing to fear and trepidation, he called upon the Lord his God. Remember in 2 Chronicles 14.11, Asa says this, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. See, Asa, he did not rely on his own strength of his army or on human ingenuity, but on the power of God, his God. And you know what? Because of that faithfulness and because of that trust in Yahweh, God Almighty gave the victory to Asa and as Judah and Benjamin utterly destroyed Zerah's army. So you would think that that after seeing the mighty hand of God at work in that battle, that God delivered them, when there were so many more odds against them with the, the army battling and raging against them, God delivered them. So you think that that would be firmly in his mind and in his heart as he hears that Basha just miles away is fortifying a city coming against him. You would anticipate that he would fall on his face and once again call upon Yahweh. That's not what he does. Instead of calling upon Yahweh for deliverance, Asa called upon Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, for support. That's, again, it scratches your head. He sees what happens, what God in a, in a huge a battle that was going to rage around him, God delivered him from it. And now another battle is ensuing 
he turns his back on God. He distrusts him. He doesn't call on him. He says, I'm going to put my trust in man. Again, how often have we done that? In situations in our life, I don't care if it's, if it's financial, if it's spiritual, if it's physical. We trust in God in some things, but then in other things we don't trust him. Brethren, God is immutable, which means he never, ever changes. Praise God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was faithful to deliver you in the past, and he's faithful to deliver you in the present and in the future. But you must be abiding in him and walking in his ways. Again, this doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficult times in your life. I'm not saying that at all. But when trouble comes, and they will, instead, you are obediently following God's commands, then no matter what you face in life, you indeed can bear it because God's peace surrounds you and gives you comfort to lift you up, to sustain you through that trial that you're going through. And in the end, you can be an amazing testimony to God to others, for God, on his behalf, to others, as they see you walking joyfully through a difficult time in your life. You've heard me say it many times, that God is for us, not against us. He has our best interests at heart, and we, when we walk in a manner that's worthy of the walk with which he has called us, then we confidently rely on our great God and Father, no matter what we face in life. Unfortunately, when, when King Basha came against King Asa, Asa did not rely on Yahweh, but instead he turned to Ben-Hadad of Aram. Ben-Hadad, he, he'd already established a treaty with King Basha of Israel. So King Asa, he, he takes this silver and gold that he and his father had dedicated and, and brought it into the, to the house of the Lord, and he gets all of these things as an offering and he sends it to Ben-Hadad and he beseeches him. He said, hey, I already know that you have a treaty in place with King Basha. But here's a gift. Hope it's enough. Go break that treaty with him and make a treaty with me. Remember, our fathers had a treaty too. So we don't know through scripture right here what the details of their father's treaty is that's mentioned here. But nevertheless, Benadad is persuaded to align himself with Asa and he breaks ties with Basha. So there, there must have been a, a pretty significant chunk of gold and silver as that gift because it appears as though Ben-Hadad acted quickly on breaking his treaty with Basha and entering into this treaty with Asa. So we read that, that Ben-Hadad, he, he moved the commanders of his army against the cities of, of Israel. And they conquered Aijan and Dan and Abel, Maim and all the store cities in Naphtali. I, I mean, imagine if you were King Basha. What, what kind of a surprise that would be. Here you are thinking that you've got a treaty with Ben-Hadad, so you're moving against Judah. You're fortifying the city about four or five miles away from Jerusalem, and then suddenly word comes to you that, hey, your ally who you thought was on your side no longer is on your side. He's fighting against you. As a matter of fact, he's starting to take some cities in Israel. That would be a shock. I mean, he was probably feeling pretty confident with himself and his plan to, to defeat Judah when that news came to him that, hey, you better get out of Judge because now Benadad is fighting against you with Asa. So instead of, of continuing his endeavor to, to fortify that city of Ramah, he stops what he's doing, he leaves the, the building materials there, he takes off, and he goes to live in Terza, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. MacArthur has this to say about Ben-Hadad's conquest of the cities of Israel. The army of Ben-Hadad I invaded Israel and took cities in the land north of the Sea of Galilee, a conquest giving Syria control of the trade routes of the Mediterranean coast and Israel's fertile Jezreel Valley 
and also making Syria a great military threat to Israel. So the tables have turned. They've turned on Basha, and he packs up his things, and he goes to live in Terza. And in verse 6 of our passage, we, we learn that the king Asa, what he does is he puts together a labor force. He conscripts this, this Judean labor force to go and get all the building materials that were left behind that, that Basha was going to use to fortify Ramah. He takes that, and now he uses those to fortify two Judean cities of Geba and Mizpah. I mean, what a turn of events. Here's all this stuff. I mean, not only can he, can he go and fortify a couple cities, but he gets free material from King Basha. As I stated earlier back in 1 Kings 14, we learned that, that Asa relied on the Lord when the Cushite army, this Ethiopian army, came against Judah with over 400,000 more warriors them, but Yahweh gave King Asa and Judah the victory because they depended on him to deliver them. But in our passage this morning, Asa doesn't rely on the Lord. Instead, he distrusts Yahweh and he takes matters into his own hands and he, he goes out and relies on a human king to deliver him from his troubles that sad? Asa was told by Azariah, a prophet of God, that if he, Asa, would indeed, with he, Judah, and Benjamin, would rely on the Lord, then again, Yahweh would deliver them. Yahweh would be their protection. Yahweh would be their guide. And Asa relied on him then. He did rely on Yahweh. And the Ethiopian army were crushed the hand of God and there was peace in the land for years for years now Asa and Judah they they rely on human power instead of divine power and they are victorious but as we'll soon find out God is not pleased with Asa's actions all throughout scripture we see that God blesses obedience and he punishes disobedience. See, when we as believers walk in the truth of God's word and we obey his commands, then our hearts are filled with joy in all circumstances of life because our trust is in a sovereign God who does all things according to the counsel of his own will. He is in control. But when we go outside of the will of God and we try to take matters into our own hands and not give the battle to the Lord, there are consequences that take place due to our distrust in our sovereign Lord. This takes us to the third section of our passage, which is Asa's disobedience. And this is found in 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 14, so please follow along as I read this section. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, 
having died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the resting place, which he had filled with spices of various kinds, blended by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire for him. So notice here in this section that, that God uses Hannah and I to speak to Asa. But his message is vastly different from the message that the prophet Azariah brought to Asa earlier in his life. And we see that, that Asa and Judah and Benjamin depended on the Lord and they were blessed and had peace in the land for years. But now in chapter 16, we see that, that Hananiah is rebuking Asa for his distrust and his disobedience in Yahweh. And he lets Asa know that because he depended on human strength and not upon the Lord God Almighty, the army of Ben-Hadad escaped out of his hands. One commentator has this to say about Asa's sin. Asa fortified, forfeited by this sin the opportunity of gaining victory not only over Israel, but also Aram, or Syria. This could have been a greater victory than over the Ethiopians, which would have deprived Syria of any successful attacks on Judah. Though God had delivered them when they were outnumbered, the king showed his own spiritual decline, both in lack of trust and in his treatment of the prophet of God who spoke truth. I mean, man, what a wasted opportunity right here. Asa had when he forsook the Lord. He relied on Ben-Hadad to deliver him from Basha instead of relying on the Lord. If he would have trusted in Yahweh to deliver him from Basha, just like Yahweh had delivered him from the Ethiopian army, then Judah could have not only defeated Israel, but also he would have defeated Ben-Hadad's army. And that treaty that he had with Israel, it would have been like a two-for-one. It literally would have been as though God were offering up two for one in one battle. If he would have just relied on him like he did in the past. And you know, we don't specifically know from scripture why Asa disobeyed the Lord during this encounter with Basha. We just know that his actions were disobedient and there's always, always consequences for our disobedience to God. As I stated before, when we as believers sin, we don't lose our salvation. That's impossible. God has us in his grip. Christ has us in his grip. And no one can take us out of the hand of the Father or the Son. But God never turns a blind eye to sin. Never. We must pay the price for our disobedience. You know, unregenerate people, they don't understand how a loving God could actually punish people for their sin, which makes absolutely no sense to me because he is the judge of the universe. Unbelievers, they grasp the concept that, that here on earth, if a, if a person breaks the law of the land, there is consequences. They get that, that hey, they, they may have to pay a fine they may spend a little time in prison, and in very extreme cases, that person may even be put to death depending on their crime. That concept makes sense to them. But faced with the reality of breaking God's law and actually thinking that there's consequences for their actions, it's such a foreign concept to so many people. See, Yahweh has set the standards that man is to live by. Man hasn't. Yahweh sets the standards. And those standards are laid out in the passages of his holy word, the Bible. God blesses obedience and he punishes disobedience. That's really not a difficult idea to comprehend. 
We learn that Asa, he trusted in the Lord to deliver Judah from the hands of the Ethiopians. And when he did that, Yahweh gave him the victory and gave him peace in the land for years because of his faithfulness. But now because Asa relied on Ben-Hadad to deliver him from Basha, in that pagan king instead of God, there were consequences for his disobedience. See, if Asa had trusted in God for deliverance from Basha, then not only would he be able to continue to see the faithful hand of God, he'd also know if there's anything in the future, he can continue to rely on him. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His, His faith in the Lord would just continue to increase. But because he didn't, there was another thing. We, we see that he, because he trusted in Ben-Hadad, Ben-Hadad escaped him. He could have defeated him, but now later on in life, that could be a thorn in the side. And we see another result is the fact that that, that peace that Judah had in the land, because of their disobedience and trusting in man and not God, now Yahweh would bring about future wars in Judah's land. Obedience brought blessing and disobedience brought punishment. See, brethren, let this be a lesson for us today. Here today that we are to trust in our sovereign God no matter what circumstances we face. Because you see, God, he sees the the end from the beginning. Whereas you and me, We're so focused on the here and now. This is all we see, what's right before us. That's what we see. He's left his word behind so that we can know him and obey him and walk in his truth. He has not given us a spirit of fear at all. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, like I've already said, for us to live a fearless, powerful life here and now as we trust in the Lord God Almighty. So instead of Asa being convicted by the words of Hanani and, and being humbled in spirit and confessing his sin to God, falling on his face and say, Yahweh, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Change my heart. Bring uh, me and Judah back into right fellowship with you. He doesn't do that. Instead, he just gets angry. And he gets mad at Hanani and he, and he throws him into prison. And not only that, he also, at that same time, he he oppresses some of the people. He didn't like the news he was told, so he was enraged. And he further compounds his sin. How do you respond to the correction of the Lord? Do you become angry and resort to more sinful behavior? Or do you fall on your face and you beg Yahweh to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and to make that sweet fellowship again right with him, that you may commune with him, that you love him, that you may honor him. If you love God, and you are his child, then you will keep his commandments. Not perfectly, but consistently. And We also see in our passage this morning that the end of Asa's life His feet became diseased quite badly. And instead of Asa calling on the Lord, he once again relied on man. So in the last six or so years of Asa's life, let's just say he wasn't characterized uh, to be the poster child of Yahweh. He succumbed to sin and did not live the life that characterized the majority of his life. So does this mean that that Asa uh, is not redeemed and that we won't see him in heaven? No, we will see him in heaven. Terry touched on it last week. 1 Kings 15, 11 proclaims, Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. In the second half of 1 Kings 15, 14, we read, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. And basically the same thing in 2 Chronicles 15, 17. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. Praise God, we serve 
compassionate, loving, forgiving God who disciplines us when we sin, but who fully embraces us as his children. He's for us. He's not against us. Even when we distrust and disobey him, he is for us. God calls us to holy living. And yes, indeed, there will be times in our lives that we will sin. But the more that we meditate on the attributes of God through the pages of Scripture and we focus on His holy character, man, that's, that's the more that we desperately yearn to become more like Christ each day. And the more we become like Christ each day, the more in our life that sin starts to melt away. We're never sinless until we get to heaven, but we sin less and less and less. The more that we are committed to Yahweh, obeying his commands, abiding in him as he abides in us. We see how filthy and wretched we are and how holy and magnificent our God is. We want to please him. It's not about perfection, but it's about direction. And as a Christian, the direction of your life should be consistently headed toward Christ-likeness. To obey Yahweh or to disobey Yahweh? That is the question. As believers, our passage this morning, it should spur us on to, to fully depend on the sovereignty of our great God and Father through the difficulties that we all face in this sin-cursed life. We do face troubles. We do every day, but we take heart because Christ has overcome the world and we are in Christ. God is in control of every minute detail of your life. What no other, anybody else may not know about you, God knows you deeply and intimately. And we can be confident that everything that occurs in our lives is for our good and for his glory. Everything. Solomon penned in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. God deeply loves his children and he expects you, if you are his child, to obey him, to live according to his word. And if you're here this morning and you are living your life on your own terms, you think that you're a good person and that one day when you stand before God, you'll somehow convince the man upstairs to let you into heaven because you're good enough. I'm here to tell you that you're sadly mistaken. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says that, that all of us have been born into sin, that God created us created Adam and Eve, and then they sinned. It, it only took the chapter 3 of the Bible before we sinned against the holy God. But even then, we see that God has already prophesied that he would send someone to save us from our sin. We break God's laws. We sin. We shake our fist at God. I'm going to do it my way. God says, there's nothing you can do. You can't, can't say enough Hail Marys. You can't do enough good works. You can't, can't take enough people across the street. You can't give to church enough. Nothing you can do will earn you your salvation with God. It's because God in his great mercy, while we were still sinners, sent his son to die. Jesus Christ came to earth to live a perfect life. And then he was crushed. He was crucified, bled, died rose again three days later, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again in glory. I can't wait for that day. But you know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should be terrified. Terrified. Because if you are not right when he comes back, he will dole out his righteous wrath upon you because you have rejected him as the only way to have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ alone, not by works, that no one may boast. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today, 
and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, please come talk to me afterwards. Talk to someone here because there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. And it's not by good works. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. Call upon the name of the Lord today. Ask him to have mercy on your soul that he will grant you repentance and faith that what Jesus did on the cross paid your sin debt. Through repentance and faith in him, you will have eternal life in him. And for us that are saved, may we continue day by day by day to trust in Yahweh, to believe that his word is true, that no matter what we face in life, no matter how big this mountain feels and is coming against us, we know that our God is in control that he will deliver us from everything. Doesn't mean he takes away that situation, but we've got peace to walk through it. Even if that, that situation lasts the rest of our lives, God is in control and he's perfecting us through trials so that we can see that our faith indeed is in Yahweh, and that we trust in him, and what a glorious testimony we are for this dying world. Let's be about our Father's business today and every day for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth and the the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give you praise and glory because we know that everything is under your control. When we look around, when we turn on the news and see all of the, the chaos that takes place, for me, it just gets me excited, Lord, because I think one day closer before you come back and make all things right. As believers, we have peace in our hearts and we have joy knowing that we are redeemed and that this isn't our home, that you're bringing us home, that you're perfecting us day by day to bring us home to glory where we will one day never, ever sin again. We thank you for that truth, Lord. So, Lord, in those moments of doubt that we have that surely creep up in our lives, may we see that sin in our lives quickly. May we confess it to you. May we fall down on our knees and say, Yahweh, forgive me for my doubt in you. Let me trust in your word, knowing that you are in sovereign control. And if there's anyone here today or even listening to this, Lord, prick their heart Be the hound of heaven. Let your Holy Spirit quicken their soul and and allow them to see that they are sinful, that they need a Savior, that they cannot save themselves. And may they turn away from their sin through repentance and, and trust in you. Run mad after you, Heavenly Father, and believe that you raised your Son, Jesus, from the dead. And they will have life, eternal life in you for your praise and glory. Lord, may you be glorified. May you continue to build your church one soul at a time. We pray this in the glorious and magnificent name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.